Lord is going to do this morning, live in remembrance. Um, as we get ready to go into this time of worship, just remember the cross. Remember what happened many, many years ago and that the blood still warm, run warm this morning um, as we go into worship. So if you'll get up on your feet and worship with us this morning.
grab a seat. Again, so excited to see you here gathering together for worship. I know that today or this weekend is the beginning of spring break and nothing says spring break quite like some storms and 40 degree weather right off the bat. But so excited that you're here and as you may have noticed today looks a little bit different. And so as we preached last week, we talked about Maundy Thursday and Christ gathering with his disciples to partake in the Lord's Supper together, which of course, as we know, based on looking last week, it was a, it was a Passover meal. But he emphasized two aspects of the Passover meal, namely the bread and the cup. And basically what this was to symbolize was his body being broken and his blood being poured out for you and I. And so that's what we're going to celebrate today as a body of believers. As we gather together, we're going to partake in the bread and the cup. And so Paul gives us some instructions in 1 Corinthians. So he says this, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What do you, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So notice first and foremost, take, partaking of the Lord's Supper together is a serious matter of worship. So one of the things I shared with Quez and the team was that we wanted to partake in worship or in the Lord's Supper right in the middle of worship. That it's not something we simply add on to the end because we haven't done it in a while. But rather, as we come to the table today, it's an act of worship. That just as much as we sung a song, just as much as we open up the scripture, this itself is an act of worship together. And so Paul continues later on. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
So before we gather around these tables to partake, we're just going to take a few moments just to pray. Just as Paul instructs us to do to examine ourselves. That there may be sin to confess. There may be iniquity in our lives that we need to get out there. And so just for a few moments between you and the Lord, we're just going to take a few moments just to pray. And after a few minutes, I'm going to come in and pray for us. And so as the band kind of lightly plays some music, let's take a few moments just to pray. Father God, we do come to you this morning. And God, we lay those things, those things that we know that are in our lives that shouldn't be in our lives, those things that inhibit us from following after you, those things that do not glorify you. And God, we lay those things down at the foot of the cross. So God, help us now to worship you as we take the bread and the cup together. Let it be an act of worship out of the overflow of joy in our hearts and in our lives. So be with us now. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin, I've asked a few of our deacons if they would come, so if our deacons would come to these tables. So here's kind of how it's going to work. You're, the, the band's going to lead us in a song and just invite you as a family or you as an individual just to come to one of these tables. And we're not going to pass anything out. We're not going to do anything like that. You're going to come to the table, and deacon's gonna, a deacon's going to take time to pray with you. And then you're going to partake of the bread and the cup right there at the table. And there's trash cans on the side, so you can just chunk that cup in there and then make your way back to the seat. As I said, we want to be intentional about this time. So that's kind of be how communion works this morning. But I also want to say, too, one of the things that we, we believe in, is particularly as, as Baptists, is the practice of, of open communion. And so basically what that means is you do not have to be a member of Airline Baptist Church to participate in communion at Airline Baptist Church. And so if you are a believer in Christ, you are more than welcome to come gather around the table regardless of church membership status. So you may be sitting here and say, well, I'm not a member. You can still come to the table. The only thing that we ask is if you're just not a believer, that you wouldn't partake in the bread and the cup, just as we read that it's a serious matter of worship. So if you're not a believer, you can still come, be prayed over, but just don't partake in the bread and the cup this morning. 
So we continue reading or go back a few verses. Paul says this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Notice as we gather around the table, we reflect on the bread, his body being broken. We reflect on the cup, his blood being poured out. And we do it in remembrance of him. We're going to talk about Good Friday in the message in just a few minutes. We do this in remembrance of him. But not only that, we proclaim his death until he comes. So there's a past reality of gathering around the table for communion. And there's a present reality that we're doing this in the present. But we are also looking ahead to the day that through the work of Christ, through his body being broken, through his blood being poured out, he will come again and make all things right. So I invite you to come now to one of these tables as we partake of the Lord's Supper today. If you'll stand and make your way to a table.
Stand up on your feet with us.
so much thank you for the blood thank you for the cross that we can stand here today in remembrance with hearts abandoned arms wide open thanking you 
so much for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Father, when it should have been us, when we should have been nailed to the cross, you took our place. Father, you deserve more than just this, this prayer. You deserve more. You deserve it all, Father. You deserve it all. You are worthy of it all. Lord, let us not forget. Let us not grow weary. Let us not grow tired. Father, we give it all to you this morning. Every word, every prayer, every person that came through for communion, Father, we give it all to you. We're so grateful. Lord, as we dive into this message this morning, as we get ready to walk into such a such an eventful week, Father, as we get ready to come up on Easter, let us not forget. Let us cling to the cross. Let us cling to you. Lord, have your way. You are here. Have your way. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And all God's children said amen. just to echo what's already been said. So glad to see you here today. Um, and so we are going to be looking at Good Friday. And I know that technically today is Palm Sunday, and, um, but we are ahead of the curve here at Airline Baptist Church. We've already done Palm Sunday a few weeks ago. Um, and so we're looking at Good Friday this morning. And just as, and we're going to be Luke 23, if you want to be turning there in your Bible. And really, throughout this Holy Week series, we've been focusing on the King, King Jesus. Wasn't talking about Elvis when I said the King, but King Jesus. And that from Palm Sunday or the triumphant entry, he's hailed as a King. And then last week we looked at Maundy Thursday and how the king gathers around his disciples and invites them to the table. That with everything Jesus has going on during his earthly ministry, at this point in his life, he still invites his disciples to come and dine with him. He still invites them to the table. And now we turn the page and we look at Good Friday. And what makes Good Friday good? And ultimately it's that the king lays down his life. Now just think about how absurd a picture that is. 
that a king would lay down his life. Like it's the followers of the king that are supposed to lay down their lives for the sake of the king. But we look at King Jesus and he's the one that lays down his life for his followers. And before we even become followers, Jesus lays down his life when we were enemies of his. When we had nothing to do with Jesus, when we loved our sin more than Jesus, Jesus still lays down his life for us. Like it's one thing to lay down your life for someone that you love and loves you back. But what about laying down your life for the person who hates you? What about laying down your life for your enemy? That that's what Good Friday is all about. The king laying down his life. So Luke 23, we're going to read through this and then make a few observations. Starting at verse 2, it says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. The ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an, ins an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hung, hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we give you this time. God, would you speak to us through your word? 
God, let us leave here worshiping King Jesus. Let us leave here worshiping the King who lays down his life for us. So God, speak to us today, and we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So here we come to the crucifixion scene, and we've, we're all familiar with this, especially during this time of year. We know the crucifixion scene. And so we're just kind of zooming in on one part. At this point, Jesus has already stood before Pilate, and the people have chosen Barabbas over Jesus. And the people have already made their decision. They've already cried out, crucify him. And in response, Pilate's a little hesitant to crucify Jesus. So he just has Jesus beaten to within an inch of his life. But the crowds still aren't satisfied with a beaten Jesus. They want to crucify Jesus. The religious leaders don't want him messing up their plans. And so the crowds are crying out for him to be crucified. And so Jesus takes his cross and they bring it to this hill called Golgotha. And there he's crucified. There he's hung upon the tree and has nails driven into his hands and his feet. It's not a pleasant experience. That we don't have to get into all the graphic and the gory details that happened. But basically, you do not die on a cross from blood loss. You die on a cross from asphyxiation. And so basically, the entire time you're nailed to a cross, it is this painful battle between letting your body go limp so you can take some pressure off of the nails versus needing to press up on the nails so you can catch a breath of air. That's the battle of crucifixion. That to die by crucifixion was to die from not being able to breathe. So here we have Christ on the cross. And so three things I want us to take notice of this morning in just this little text we looked at. First, I want us to see the king and the crowds. Going back up to verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So here we have the scene. Here is Jesus. Here is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here is the incarnate Son of God. The one who was present at the very creation of the universe. The one who robed himself in flesh in a little town called Bethlehem. The one who had fed multitudes. The one who had healed. The one who had done all of these miraculous things. And we come to this chapter and he's going to a hill between two criminals about to die. That this is the scene of our Lord. He's led to a criminal's death. He's been given the death sentence. So he's between two criminals. 
And notice what Jesus says. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Notice that even in the midst of everything that's going on, even in the midst of the horror of the crucifixion, Jesus is well in control. He's praying for their forgiveness. He's praying for the ones who are at the moment could be driving the nails into his hands. He's praying for the ones who a few hours ago beat him within an inch of his life. He's praying for God's forgiveness in that. Like that's how we know Jesus is divine. Because if that's me, I'm calling down fire from heaven. But what does Jesus do? He Praise that God would show them mercy. And then it says, and they cast lots to divide his garments. If you go back and look at Psalm 22, it's not in Luke's gospel, but we have that famous phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you read through all of Psalm 22, it goes into graphic detail of what happens at the crucifixion that they divide his garments, they cast lots over his garments, they pierce his hand and his side. But you know what happens at the end of Psalm 22? The Messiah reigns. And so as Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not making a statement about his present relationship between the Father. But it would just be like you and I, if we were to simply say amazing grace, we know what the last stanza of amazing grace is, right? So he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the beginning of the song, of the song which was the songbook of the, old, of the church. So they were well aware of how Psalm 22 ended. That Psalm 22 began and it looked rough, but at the end, the Messiah reigns. At the end of Psalm 22, the Messiah is in full control of what's happening. And so they're dividing his garments. They're casting lots, basically showing all the way back in Psalm 22, God was well aware of what this event would look like in human history and what would take place and what he ordained. It says, and the people stood by watching but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. They're, hur they're hurling insults at him. Here Jesus is upon the cross. They're going, come on, come on, Jesus, if you, you, you said you can save, you said you've saved others, but you can't even save yourself in this moment. Oh, but what they re didn't realize was Jesus is accomplishing something far greater than they could ever imagine. 
that Jesus is accomplishing something here on the cross. And the, but it's not just the religious rulers, but it says, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus, if you are who you really say you are, you can save yourself. And just to add insult to injury, there was also an inscription written over him, this is the king of the Jews. There's one final point to mock Jesus. Anytime there was a someone that was crucified, they would place one of these monikers over the cross that basically just stated the criminal's name and the offense for which they were crucified. And so if you were a passerby and you saw someone being crucified, you would say, okay, that's Steve and he's being crucified for armed robbery. So if I commit armed robbery, that's what's gonna happen to me. It was a means of deterring crime. But what's the charge that they levy against Jesus? They have no charge to levy against Jesus. The only thing that they can put on his moniker, this is the king of the Jews. That that is the charge at which they give against Jesus. Why is Jesus crucified for claiming to be king of the Jews? But even that in and of itself is just a partial reality of who Jesus was. Because Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he's king of kings and Lord of lords. So in the midst of all of this, we see the king and the crowds. Then in the midst of everything, Jesus is praying that they would be, that God would show them mercy and forgiveness. And yet all they're doing is mocking him and scoffing at him saying, you're your king, do something about it. So we see the king and the crowds. But then second, we see the king and the criminals. It says one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. Now notice the criminal includes himself in here now and us. Like Jesus, if you're in the process of getting off the cross and you can do it, get us down too. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Somewhere along the way, this criminal had noticed something about Jesus. And so all of a sudden he goes, this man's done nothing wrong. He said, you're mocking Jesus, but we're right where we're supposed to be. We earned this judgment. We earned our place here on these crosses on either side of Jesus. We're supposed to be here. This man's not. 
Then notice this little phrase. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't even pray, Jesus, would you save me? He doesn't even say, Jesus, I recognize your king. Can, can you save me? He just simply looks at Jesus and goes, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I recognize your king. I recognize you have a kingdom. Would you just remember me? Then what does Jesus say? And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about that for just a moment. Here Jesus is. He's being scoffed at. He's being mocked. And there's just this one criminal who recognizes who Jesus is and just simply asks Jesus to remember him when he goes into the, his kingdom. And Jesus goes, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about me remembering you when I go into my kingdom. Why? Because you're gonna be there. That when I step foot into paradise, you will be there too. And I just couldn't help but just think about this this week. What a day for an execution. Like, just put yourself in the criminal's shoes for just a moment. Like, I don't know how the judicial system worked in ancient Rome. Like, maybe he was in jail for a long time. He had already been given the death sentence. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew this date was coming up. And it was just him and his accomplice. And he said, okay, in two months, I'm going to be crucified. It's just me and my accomplice. And then the day before he gets word, there's going to be a third man crucified with him. And he just happens to show up and be crucified next to Jesus. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the day of his execution, his eternity is radically changed. You know what that is? That's the divine intersection of God's grace and his providence. And every single one of us have a divine intersection of God's grace and his providence in our lives. That there was a day when those two things met in your life and in my life. And this happens to be the criminal's day. But you see, the criminal poses some, some theological problems for certain theological systems. What the criminal's the, the elephant in the room, because whatever we say, you, you must do X in order to be saved, what do we do with the criminal? Like, you must be baptized in order to be saved. He didn't get dunked. You must have a church membership in order to be saved. He never stepped foot in the door. You must speak in tongues in order to be saved. He didn't do that either. He just simply believed Jesus. 
He just simply believed Jesus was king and he recognized his own sin. But even better than that, several years ago, there's a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg who I absolutely love. You've probably heard this before, but it bears repeating. He was preaching on the cross, and particularly this criminal. And Alistair said this, without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and I, if I answer that in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he, because he, think about the thief on the cross. I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been to a Bible study. You never got baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership. And yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Angel. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy says, I've never heard of it in my life. And what about, let's, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. The guy's just staring, and eventually in frustration, he says, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now that's the only answer. That's the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off of the cross, I can then only give lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you to either abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. It is only the cross that deals with both my dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I am doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look upon him and pardon me. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. 
that it's not about you. Just as he said, it's not a first person answer. It's not because I did this, I did that, I had faith. It's all because he did this. He went to the cross. He did this. And he said, I can come. So we see Jesus, the king, and the criminal. But then lastly, we see the king in the curtain. He says, Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That something is going on. This isn't just the mere death of a criminal. That this is so serious that God cuts the lights out from 12 in the afternoon to 3 p.m. Something major is going on that God cuts the lights out in the midst of it. So while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, if you know anything about the temple, there's, there's a few layers to the temple, but the very innermost layer was what was known as the holy of holies. And it's in this innermost layer that once a year, you didn't just go in and out of the Holy of Holies. And not just anyone entered into the Holy of Holies. That once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would step in to the Holy of Holies to mediate between God and the Israelites. And it was such a severe thing it was such a serious thing that the high priest would have to enter in and have a rope tied around his leg so that if he entered in and was, un, and was impure, God would strike him dead in the Holy of Holies. And you couldn't just go in there after his dead body because God would strike you dead too. And so they tie the rope around the leg. So if God strikes him dead, they drag his lifeless body out of the Holy of Holies. Now that's how serious it was. But yet, because of the work of Jesus, because his work is accomplished, the curtain tears. That barrier that kept holy God from sinful man is torn in two so that you and I don't need a mere mortal high priest to be able to go in there and act on behalf of us. We have a greater high priest. We have King Jesus. And so that you and I, we now have direct access to God. The curtain has been torn. This is what Jesus accomplishes in his final moments, the side of death. He cuts 
the curtain. It says, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. His work was finished. His work was accomplished. That everything he set out to do was done. He simply breathes out his last breath, and everybody watching goes, there's something different about this man. Even the Roman centurion goes, surely this was an innocent man. And everybody goes home grieving over what they had just seen. So all of this happens, that this is the crucifixion. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. It's this, Good Friday is good because the king laid down his life so that we may come. Good Friday is good because the king laid down his life so that we may come. That's why Good Friday is good. It's not good just simply because there was a crucifixion that happened a long time ago. Good Friday is not good because Jesus demonstrates what obedience unto death looks like. <clears throat> None of those are the reasons why Good Friday is good. But rather, Good Friday is good because we have a king who laid down his life. Notice, even at the very end, as the band comes back to the stage, Jesus was in complete control. Like this wasn't a tragedy that just happened upon Jesus. From the very beginning, he's praying that God would forgive the ones that were crucifying him. And at the very end, Jesus goes, okay. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last breath. That throughout the entire time, Jesus is well in control. And why is he doing that? Because his life was not taken, it was given. They didn't, the Roman soldiers there did not take Jesus' life. The religious leaders of the day did not take Jesus' life. But Jesus going, I'm going to lay down my life. Because there are people here and there are people in the future that cannot save themselves. That cannot keep all the rules that cannot simply find their way back to God. There are people that need a savior. <clears throat> and so what does he do? He lays down his life so that we may come. That's what Good Friday is all about. So as we close, First of all, I just 
wants to close in worship, worshiping King Jesus. Worshiping the king who laid down his life when we had nothing to offer him. Worshiping that king. But you may be sitting here today going, I don't know that king. I want to know more about who Jesus is. Never believed in Jesus, never recognized him as Lord. Love to talk to you about that. I'll be over here. Mike will be standing over there. If you need somebody to pray with, come pray with one of us. Because he's the king who laid down his life for you. And today might just be the day, just as the criminal where divine providence meets divine grace at that intersection. So as we close, if you need to come pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, Mike and I will be standing to the side. But let's worship King Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we praise you and we honor you. God, help us to worship the king who laid down his life for us. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond today. So I throw my hands and praise you Get up.
To get shy on me, lift up your song. You got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song.
Amen, amen. Folks, y'all can sit down just a little bit, okay? Got a couple of announcements. First of all, wow, it's been a good morning. Are you glad you came today? Amen. What a good spirit. What a good, uh, what a good. on that cross that's that's one of the guys after 15 20,000 years I'm gonna look him up too but that's uh that's a great word great this morning um got a few uh things coming up this week first of all it's spring break kids say y'all just going to school then <laughs> no spring break I was supposed to be excited spring break school's out people's going on vacation looks like some folks already gone on vacation amen Yep, they are. But anyway, because of that, we'll, no Wednesday night services this week. No meal, no, no sessions, no program, so we'll, we'll be out. Um, next Saturday, do y'all know we're having an Easter egg hunt at YMCA next Saturday, right? What time is it? 11. And it lasts till 1 or whenever, okay? But we have a place you can go sign up. We need a few more folks to sign up, okay? We got a lot of, and I know a lot of you, y'all just show up, and, and that's, that's cool, please do that. But if we feel better about it, we can sleep better if we know we're gonna have some folks coming to help. So go on there, sign up. If you don't know how to do that, call me, call Zach, call Rick, and just say, hey, I'm coming, I wanna do this, and we'll sign you up, okay? But please be there. We've got a crew that needs to be here about 10 to pick up stuff, 9.30 or so, load up stuff to take over there, setting up, hiding eggs and all that good stuff. So sign up. That's going to be a great day, all right? Going to be a lot of, lot of uh, fun, a lot of opportunity to love on and witness to, share the gospel with some folks in our community. So be here for that, okay? One other thing. This week, Holy Week. So many times on Sunday, Palm Sunday, when we leave the service, when we leave this sanctuary, we leave Jesus, he's in the tomb. And that's okay. We've talked about his crucifixion. We've talked about everything he went through for us. He's been ridiculed. He's been beaten. He's been killed, physically killed. He's been buried. He's been put inside a tomb. And then we... We, we walk away from Palm Sunday services, and, and that's, that's where he's at. But y'all, Sunday's coming. I don't want to steal a pun, but Sunday's coming. Next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, I want you all to be here at 645, okay? For our sunrise service right out there. If you've not experienced it, please come and be here just, just this one time. If you don't like it, you don't ever have to come back. Be here for that service at 645. We're going to not celebrate the, the sun coming up over the horizon, even though it's beautiful, but we're going to celebrate the resurrection. We've left Jesus in the tomb all this week, and I want you to think about it. I want you to think about this week. Every morning, get up and think about what Jesus did for you. The time he spent in that tomb was for you. The pain he suffered, the blood he shed, everything that he did was for you because he loves you so much. But next Sunday, we're going to celebrate he didn't stay there, okay? He rose. We're going to be here for that. We're going to celebrate his resurrection. We're going to have a time of fellowship right after the sunrise service. 
we have our Sunday school life groups meeting in our normal time, and then we're going to begin worshiping here at 1045 next Sunday morning. Be here for that wonderful day, wonderful time together. Okay, can you do that? Everybody say amen. amen. All right. Now for the fun part, okay? <laughs> uh, church family, we need to take care of a little business this morning. If you're visiting with us and you want to leave, feel free to leave. We're going to go into a short time of, of conference, and trust me, it's, it's be about two minutes. Um, so if you want to leave, feel free to do that. We're just going to discuss a few things on church business. Otherwise, hang around. It'll be fun, okay? All right? So with that being said, I'm going to call Airline Baptist Church into our regular quarterly conference. And let me just open up in a word of prayer, okay? Father, we love you. And we thank you, God, for the privilege of serving you in this place, God. I look forward to being able to... God, just to celebrate you next Sunday, celebrate your resurrection. And God, I pray for continued times that we can meet.